Hello and welcome on in to another episode of the Selby is Godcast. We have switched our tin cans and string to Dixie cups and string this week for this week's episode. What's going on, TJ? I'm not sure the science backs that that is actually a good upgrade. I'm not sure how a Dixie cup compared to a Tim cup really uh, gets the sound traveling over the wire, but I'm going to have to believe you on this one. And trust is that like you. when you is that like when you replace Yu Chang at third base with Ryan Flaherty? I would think that's probably similar. I would I would I would guess that that's probably a similar step down. Whew. Well, it, it could certainly be better this week. I will tell you that. Yeah, we have a ton to get to. I mean, there are just so many storylines. No, there there really isn't. Um, we we will certainly dive into where the Indians stand, where they go from here. But I kind of just want to ask you this point blank right off the bat. And I know we say all the time there's no reason to make sweeping declarations because you often come back to look foolish and you stand again next to nothing by making said proclamations. But, like, the division race is over, right? Right? Like the Indians are they're in the wild card hunt, certainly, but the dreams of a fourth straight AL Central title are those dead? As we record this now, the Twins haven't played tonight. The Indians just split with the White Sox. So they're currently six games back in the division. And just looking at the schedule, the Indians and Twins play each other six more times before the season is over. So by my math, there is still a chance. No, I think you're right. I think the division is, you know, we talked last week about how it would be silly to declare it over at three, what was it, three and a half games, whatever it was at the time, yep. uh, with a month to go because you and I have seen enough baseball to know that crazier things have and will happen. And it's not even that it's hot takey to declare those sorts of things at the beginning of September and you and I just stray away from it because we don't like to do it. I also just don't find it entertaining. I always want to search for, I mean, anybody could tell you that the the odds were that the Indians were not going to win the division when Jose Ramirez went down and they lost what could have been their best hitter over the last two months. And we're, we're facing another, uh, critical part of their schedule. Anybody could have looked at that and said, yeah, odds are that they, the Twins are going to win this division. And you and I would have agreed with that with those odds. But I, th- I find it more interesting to look at the picture and try to determine if it's going to happen, how is it going to happen? What are the things that need to happen? And we tried to lay that out as best as we could last week. And essentially everything that we said went the opposite way. Wait, did so, you say they needed to get swept by Tampa Bay? I think I, I might have said that. I'm not going to claim ownership of it, actually. I, I, I don't know how you could look at this past week and declare it anything other than almost a worst-case scenario for this team because it's not even – it is certainly getting swept by Tampa Bay. But anytime you play someone in the division that – really anybody in the division, but somebody in the division that is nowhere close to being your equal, you pretty much need to win all of those games the rest of the way. And that's a tough place to be in, but it's the reality of their situation – and if this is June and they split with the White Sox, eh, whatever. Knowing that the sand in the hourglass is dwindling, 
and there are only so many times, so many chances you get here the rest of this season to try to cut into that division lead. Uh, splitting with with the White Sox is pretty brutal, as we sit here today. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they they need two things to happen. Number one, they probably have to win at minimum five or six against the Twins. And, and the second thing is the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man has to. No, what is the second thing? Well, the second thing is you need the Twins to somehow collapse in the last two weeks when they face the Tigers, the Royals, and the White Sox. And I, I think banking on both of those things happening is just far-fetched, let alone one of the two. So, yeah, I mean, it's – this is – we can go all the way back. I, I still think this is – stems from falling back 11 and a half games to begin with because we knew we knew at that point like the twins were going to cool off they got off to a torrid start you knew they weren't going to win 120 games i mean obviously they're still going to threaten 100 but you knew they'd cool off and the indians did get hot so then yeah, I mean, they, once they have the almost indians, flipped places yeah but but then you know that that's not going to stay either because teams ebb and flow. So you knew the Indians were going to come back down to earth. They weren't going to remain the best team in baseball for the last two months, as they were in June and July. And you knew the Twins were going to get a little bit better again. So it's like, you know, I, I still I, I know that they erased that 11.5 game deficit, but it's, it's as hard to keep that there as it is to erase the 11.5. So I, I, I go back to like, you know, it's still haunting them that they dug themselves such a deep hole. It's still haunting them that they were so unprepared for the start of the season and for any adversity in April and May. Um, and this is just kind of like what you'd expect. Like, it's it, what's crazy is I think there's a better chance that the Twins wind up winning the division by like eight to ten games than there is that the Indians win the division. Period. And if that's not unrealistic, I mean, in in fairness, you're talking about them losing two games or two to four games as opposed to making up six. And no, and no, even but, even more beyond that. But my point is that that would not have seemed that unlikely in May when the Indians were that far behind anyway. So I think when you when you go back and look at this season and you you know if you just look at the final number and maybe the Twins win the division by eight games or something like that, and you say, okay, well, like, the Twins were clearly the better team, and it's like, yeah, they were, and that includes all these twists and turns that happened along the way. Um, it's just, it's been weird, uh, but but this proves this season more than maybe any other that, like, you don't declare it dead in May, you don't declare it one in July, and you just have to kind of be along for the ride and expect things to change. Things don't remain the same for six months. And people seem to think that if you go 18 and 9 in April, you're going to win the World Series. Or if you go into the All-Star break. Um, you know, an interesting thing I, I found. Uh, when the Indians, a few days ago, they, they had 24 games left. And I was seeing, okay, well, like, has any team in the last 10 years come back from five and a half out with 24 to play? And the answer, there, there, were, there was one. And the one team that did was the 2009 Twins, 
And the, the Tigers collapsed in September. The Twins got hot. They played a one-game playoff. Um, and the Twins were terrible up to that point. I think I know you're going to hit me with a ni- double nice, but they, they were 69-69. and 69, And then with 24 games left, I think they went like 17-7, and seven, and Detroit went like 11-16, and 16, something like that. Um, and that's the kind of thing the Indians are going to need. But it's just like baseball is unpredictable. I'm kind of talking in circles here i don't know what my original point was please cut me off uh that's just a microcosm of how this season has been man one big twist and turn after another that brings us right back to where everything started seemingly um the one thing you couldn't have predicted two weeks ago is that they were going to lose jose ramirez it's both an unfortunate reality that uh kind of robs us a little bit of what could have been a, a little bit more of a fun uh, final two, three weeks here. Uh, these matchups against the Twins wouldn't feel as uh, must-win as they as they do going into it, where you have to essentially sweep the rest of these games to give yourself any sort of a remote shot, and I, and I just don't see that happening. Uh, but it would have been a lot more fun to see that happen with Jose Ramirez in the lineup, and it was such a great story with him coming back, and we talked about this last week, but seeing how he revived his season and we, we were kind of uh, chronicling it every single night and where his OPS was going and where he was in the uh, WRC plus picture and trying to keep everything in perspective of how he could be so bad to begin the year and be an average hitter. And a lot of people look at average and say, Oh, well, that's not good. Average is, is really sort of kind of good. If you're an average hitter in major league baseball, you're probably pretty good. Um, and for him to even be in that conversation after the first two, two and a half months that he had was incredible. And we didn't get to see how that story ended because of the, the handmade phone. And, I, you know, I don't know. At this point, it, it seems almost beyond unlikely, but almost unfair to expect that he's going to come back and be any sort of a, of a threat if and when he does. But the, re- the other part of this is, and it became jarring or, or more glaring a few days ago when you looked at a team that was in the playoff hunt and it gave me flashbacks to April and May when I'm seeing a, a lineup full of Freeman and Flaherty and, and trying to piece their way through it with guys that were pitching that probably shouldn't have been in the situations that they were. And it was like, man, this, this, ex- this takes me back to what we were watching in April and May. It reminds me of how many Carlos Gonzalez at-bats where it was you would have preferred anybody really to be up there. Oscar Mercado has come up and been pretty solid. I think his rookie season has been probably more than you and I would have anticipated it being. And who knows if he gets a little bit more time in the major leagues and they have center field settled and they're not playing Leonis Martin as much as they did before cutting ties with them. There, there are so many different things that you can look at at the beginning of the year. And while it is true that it's it's kind of unfair to them that they lose Jose Ramirez, it's also them that put themselves in the position to begin the year where they had to fight and claw to get themselves back 11 and a half games in the division. Yeah. So while, while it is it, two things can be true at once. One, it is unfortunate and seemingly unfair that Jose Ramirez doesn't get to, to partake in this. And it certainly is a devastating blow to the Indians to not have him. But it was also their responsibility to not only have the depth to be able to withstand certain things, but also not put themselves in the hole that they did early. 
Yeah, let's also give credit to the Twins. I mean, they might win 100 games. And even if the Indians were more aggressive over the offseason, um, if they avoided the costly variety of injuries, the ones that cost Clevenger a couple months, Kluber basically the whole season, you know, God willing, the, the Carrasco situation, Jose's long-term injury. Um, if they avoid all that, and even if Jose is an MVP candidate, like I still don't know if they're going to catch the Twins. Um, but at least they'd make it close and they make it interesting. And, you know, you might still have confidence in them making noise if they can escape the wild card game. Now, I, it, they're, they're a complete grab bag of a team because a lot of the guys you're relying on who are healthy are rookies or inexperienced or reaching some sort of uncharted territory. I mean, Shane Bieber has never been like a frontline starter in a playoff race. You know, he's, he's creeping up on innings totals. He's never reached before. You've got Zach Plesak pitching in big games and, and struggling. Aaron Savali's going through that as well. You've got a, a bullpen that we kind of were wondering, you know, is, it's been solid all year and it's it's exceeded most people's expectations, but we kind of knew it was teetering on the brink and was due for some regression and it seems to all be happening at once. And like you said, I mean, they've never had position player depth. And Mike Freeman's given this team way more than it ever could have imagined. Um, but you're right. Like Ryan Flaherty's in the lineup and I don't think like Daniel Johnson and Kai Tom and Bobby Bradley and, Nolan Jones would be the answer and would have this team, you know, two games behind the Twins right now. But I also don't think that Ryan Flaherty and Yu Chang and whoever else is getting at bats in September in place of Jose Ramirez and Tyler Naquin and, um, you know, Jason Kipnis when he was out. Like, it's not like those are inspiring uh, entities. And they, they do still lack position player depth. For as much starting pitching as they have and as much starting pitching as they should have going into the next season, you know, there's still reason to think about a, a surplus trade where you, you move a starting pitcher for another bat. I mean, that, that still yeah. should be near the top of their priority list this offseason. So you're right. It, it's kind of like time is a flat circle and, and we're back to the <laughs> beginning here. And it's, it is reminiscent of April and May where it's like, eh, you know, they probably should be playing better, but you look at the roster and it's like uh, it's not like crazy that they can drop a game to any team on any day since time is a flat circle i'm going to circle back and i thought of a better way to try to phrase what i was saying how many times you listen back and think oh i i I could have said it this way i could have done this better i'm doing that with my first few points i've made of this podcast (laughs) for once i'm I'm, it's going to happen Within the podcast. All right, so step back. Let me try to get this out of the way before I I lose it. I don't blame them as much now for losing games to the Twins because I think the reality of losing Ramirez, of losing Tyler Naquin, as surprising as that would have been to say in April or May, but uh, losing Tyler Naquin as part of this offense who was, uh, I think, average is fine, kind of the, the baseline for him, but has at points met some pretty important things to this team offensively and defensively. So you lose him. Now you're, you're, you're running Jake Bowers back out there. You're running Craig Allen back out there. You would certainly rather have Naquin in the lineup compared to, uh, 
your other options. Uh, you, you throw Kipnis in there, they lost him for a few games, and there was a stretch where he was really swinging the bat well. Um, obviously not 2016 Kipnis or 2015 Kipnis, but at least a little closer to average. So with all those things kind of being dealt in them at once, all the young pitchers that they have, I don't blame them as much now for losing games to the Twins because I think the reality was that was probably going to happen just based on some of the talent that they've been without. But I do blame them for them being in the position that they are that that the 11-and-a-half game deficit was there to begin with or yep. that, they have, that they have to fight their way out of it as tough as it – it should not be – uh, they should be in a position where, uh, because of the injuries, maybe they're two, three games back. And I'm just kind of throwing arbitrary numbers out there. But I think you kind of know what I'm saying. They, they should be in a position where they're still within striking distance. And because of the injuries, it's making it a little bit tougher. It shouldn't be they had to exhaust every single resource that they could to get themselves back to even. And now that they've done that and played as well as they did. And, and they were the best team in baseball, as you said, for two months, if that happens, you shouldn't be in a position where you lose a couple of guys for a few games a week or uh, in Ramirez and Naquin's case a month that it completely blows the, any shot you have the, what yeah. happened in, what happened in the first two months, I blame them for in roster construction and guys that were running out there more than I blame. And I, and I still, it's not like I'm removing blame from them completely, but I blame them more for what happened at the beginning of the season compared to maybe what is happening now, where it is unfortunate the guys that you've lost. Agreed. I think that's a point I was trying to make my first long-winded answer when I um, basically started reading War and Peace word for word. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I do want to say one thing, too. First, Well, first of all, James Karinchek should have been up here weeks and weeks and weeks ago. I think we've both said that uh, there's really no reason at this point why he's not. I do still think he's going to be up soon. I asked Francona about it today, and I think the original plan was maybe let some of these guys go through the AAA playoffs, but I think they're getting desperate, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him up. But who knows? Sometimes <laughs> just, with this organization— you just writing off the Governor's Cup? Yeah. Is that, is that some, what they're playing for? Sometimes with this organization— you think one thing, and you think yeah. you're hearing the right things, and then it just doesn't happen. And, yeah. yeah. But so who knows? Uh, but I want to make this point. You know, they have had injuries. But every team has injuries. I mean, the Twins lost Nelson Cruz. They've lost Jay. Uh, what's his name? Kyle Gibson. Um, they've had guys in and out of the lineup. That certainly has not slowed down that lineup, which, strangely enough, is the most powerful lineup in baseball history from a home runs perspective, which is just. Strange, even in the juiced ball era. But, like, people will point out, like, oh, the Yankees had injuries too, but their payroll's so big. And it's like, I look at that lineup. Like, they've relied on Mike Ford, Mike Talkman. They turned Cameron Mabin into a triple-A flameout. From a triple-A flameout to a freaking, like, hitting savant. Like, he's been huge for them. Giovanni Urshela. Like, it's not like they had all-stars on their bench just waiting for an opportunity. I mean, they've had to rely on guys who, I mean, Gio Urshela and Cameron Mabin couldn't make the Indians or didn't make the Indians in the last year or two, and now they were hitting really well and, and playing a big role for the Yankees. But, the Mabin but also just incredible. Yeah, I, and I'm not blaming the Indians what is, for either what is of those. Happening? 
Maven was terrible at AAA, and Urshela had plenty of chances. Flamed out in Cleveland, flamed out in Toronto, flamed out in New York, and then finally worked in New York. But point is, they got so much production from the guys who stayed healthy. That's the key. They got just incredible seasons from Gary Sanchez when he's been healthy, Glaber Torres, um, whoever else. It's hard to think of because most people have been injured on their team. But they've had enough hitting. I mean, their offense, their, their lineup has still been really good where that's helped to make up for it. And you look at the Indians and it's like, yeah, like you can get a lot from Clevenger and Bieber. They, they've gotten a lot out of those two guys when Clevenger was healthy and, and Bieber all season. But like, there's only so much you can ask from Adam Plutko and Aaron Savali and Zach Plesak when that's 60% of your rotation. And so it, it's tough. And it's like, yeah, now like Framil Reyes has done a great job stepping in and providing some pop now that Jose Ramirez has been out. But like Puig's been ice cold for weeks. They've gotten, you know, Kipnis was hurt a little bit, cooled off a little bit. Um, and it's basically, it's like, it does remind me of April. Like you said, when it was like, they had Lindor and Santana and not even Lindor the whole month, but they had Santana and like, that was their only shot at scoring was if Santana did something. And now it's basically, I mean, they got one hit by Reynaldo Lopez, who I think lasted two thirds of an inning in his previous start. I mean, it's, it's, it's Lindor and it's Santana and it's Reyes. And other than that, it's good luck. And it's not, I mean, that happens when you have injuries, when you're relying on young players, it happens. But if you didn't dig yourself too big of a hole, yeah, would we still be having this conversation? No, I mean, we've spent enough time talking about the, early, the first two months and all the things that went wrong and all the things they could have probably done to facilitate a better start. And let's not lose sight of, yeah, you're counting on Savali and Plutko and Plesak. Regardless of what they, those, that trio does for the rest of the year or Plesak today, and part of it's not his fault for the line score because obviously a lot of the runs score after he leaves the game. But still, whatever they do moving forward, you've already gotten more than you ever should have, would have, could have ever expected any of those guys to ever do. Well, and that's uh, – but that's an important part, point too because remember, like we talked about this a few weeks ago. When they called up all these kids, it was just as much to say, hey, at least let them get sure. growing pains out of the way so we're better – for the future. The the problem with that is that you can't you, you can't punt any season right now because you don't know how long you're going to have Francisco Lindor and they didn't know Bieber was going to be an ace. They didn't know Plesac and Savali were going to be formidable pieces or that Mercado would turn into a a nice piece. So it it's they like backed their way into some positives the way this season has played out. Um I, I would say hurts. I would say that's unfair. And I, and I don't think you mean it that quite uh, the way that it sounds. I just mean they're set. They, they, they are probably it. their 2020 through 2024 look a lot brighter than you would have guessed four yeah, months ago. Sure, but and, they and, didn't know that until yeah, they yeah, yeah. kind of pulled the plug. And in fairness, I guess I guess my point is everything we've talked up the Yankees and the Twins, what they have been able to do depth wise with their position player core is sort of what the Indians did pitching-wise this year. The Indians, have unfortunately, haven't been able to stumble into as many positives offensively as the other teams that we've talked about, but them bringing up pitchers the way that they have and plugging them in, I know the last week or so hasn't looked great, 
but the season overall, what they've done. I guess the point is, I do want to hold them accountable for all the depth issues that they have, position player-wise, and some of the the realities that they stumbled into in the first couple of months. But I also do want to give them credit because if it wasn't for their drafting and development, they would have this season would have been over a long time ago with their pitching, the way they pieced it together. They do deserve some credit for that. And yeah, you can, we can certainly say that even the team didn't expect that Aaron Savali would be sitting here today with a sub two ERA and Zach Plesak, you know, hovering around four and, and Adam Plutko would kind of figure it out a little bit and at least look like a competent five. That's the same thing I could say about the Yankees, the Twins, and any other team that has probably overcome some injuries this year, getting more from guys that they probably ever could have expected. So while I do want to take them to task for the things that they are missing, I do also want to give them credit for what they've been able to piece together pitching-wise to put them in a position where they still have one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball, and they were without Mike Clevenger for... I mean, they lost 100 innings of his season, which looks like it could have been a Cy Young caliber season. Uh, they haven't had Corey Kluber all year. They haven't had Carlos Carrasco for a huge chunk of it. And so to be able to overcome that, I do think they deserve the credit that we've talked about over the past few weeks. So I, I just want to you know, make sure that we're being fair. That is fair. I just don't think anyone could have, ex- could have known that like Aaron Savali would be no, the best pitcher no. in baseball. And it's the same thing that no one would have known that Gio Urshela or, or Cameron Maven or, I mean, yeah, right. I feel like you could kind of make similar, you can draw similar lines between teams that are doing it in different ways. Do you think the Indians would be closer to the Twins, farther back, if they never made the Trevor Bauer trade? Uh, well, I think they would be really close to the Twins because they're actually getting ready to start their series against them. No. Um, Jeez. All terrible God. jokes aside, I think... I think they would be where they're at or maybe even a little bit further back. Yeah, and I guess it's tough to say because would Bauer have a ERA over eight? Yeah, I don't know. Since the I trade don't... with the Indians? I don't know. You know, you you can say that he he might have, but we how much of how much of of Bauer pitching like crap is because he's switching leagues, switching teams, doing this all in the middle of the year. Oh all the no! That but he, he talks said up, the Reds are so things, much more analytical and advanced. Yeah, all the things that he's talked up. I mean, you and I know him enough that he's trying to. I feel like when he made those comments, it was a. Not as much of a shot at the, the organization that he's leaving, but a a way to try to get in good with a bunch of new new team, a new team, new players, trying to talk them up as much as he can to find his place and try to be a good teammate, a good person. That that's almost more of what I took away than a shot at the Indians. But I mean, I could be wrong. He could be just shitting all over the Indians, and I'm misreading it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I I think there we've seen reason to be encouraged by Fran Mil Reyes, uh, mm. who they have under control for the next five seasons. And, yes. You know the Puig experiment we, has. Go ahead. Well, I was say we haven't even seen, and we saw a glimpse of Logan Allen, but we don't know where right. he's going to be. And there are other parts in that trade too. So uh, this could pay dividends 
further down the line too that we're not seeing. I do, I do think what we're seeing with Puig here in these last couple of weeks was why I was hesitant when everyone was ready to sign him to a five-year, $200 million yep. extension. Probably, I don't think I signed it, but maybe five-year, $100 million extension. I said, well, hold on. Let's let this play out a little bit more because Puig is an interesting cat in a lot of different ways. And even if you remove all of the things that make him interesting off the field uh, and sometimes on the field too, we're also talking about a guy that has been an enigma as a player as far as his production in the past too. So let's let this play out a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I'm, you from, from the jump essentially told me there was no shot when we talked about this privately of them signing him to an extension. Like that was your belief. And I wanted to at least see that you, if you thought that there was a chance that they could sign him to an extension. But I, I do think we're seeing... And it really doesn't have much to do with some of the the antics that always get him headlines. It's more so just the hot and cold production that he can go through. He's not a... I don't look at, at Yasiel Puig and say, that's a difference-making bat. Or that's a guy that is going to go out and give you, you know, what we saw in his first couple of years where he's going to be a 5-6 win player. I don't, I don't think he's that sort of guy, do you? I mean, even when you're looking... Like the Edwin Encarnacion contract, yes, you were paying a DH, but at the time you signed him, you thought this is a guy that is a difference-making bat. I think Yasiel Puig is a very solid player. I don't think he's a difference-maker. And I don't think the a difference-maker as far as a drastic difference. And if the Indians are paying a ton of money to an outfielder, I think you've got to be paying somebody that's going to be giving you – that's going to be making a huge drastic difference in his standings. And I just don't think Puig is that guy. At least we haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I mean, he's got two home runs in 30 games with the Indians. And, and I, I swear the first few weeks he was here, anytime I turned on Sports Talk Radio, it was like hopefully they can re-sign him. It was like decline Kluber's option and make sure you re-sign Puig. And, can we, it, can, it, we, can we establish that those should be two different points, right, by the way? Right. They should not be linked at, in any way, shape, or form, those two no, decisions but you should be made know, on their own merit. Sports talk radio works. You have to pit one thing against another, or else you don't have anything to talk about. Um, oftentimes Hot takes coming your way at the top of the hour. Stay tuned. <laughs> Sometimes it's even pitting teams in the same city against each other, because that's what you got to do. Uh, but I think... <laughs> It, it never made sense because if he was going to keep hitting 360 the rest of his tenure with the Indians, and we all know how great of an arm he possesses and how much fun he can be, well, then he was going to price himself out of the Indians' range anyway. And if he played so poor, and I don't think these two months completely determine whether he gets a two-year deal or no. a five-year deal. No, they but, shouldn't. But they remind you of why you go look at this guy's baseball reference page and the stats are not, like you said, they're not as overwhelming as, you know, you might have in your head. And I think a lot of that is because of just the story he was when he first came up and because we've seen him do all sorts of crazy things. I mean, he's, he's been in the spotlight and when you think someone's in the spotlight, you assume well, they're in the spotlight for a reason. They're, they must be a good player to go along with all the antics. So, yeah, he's streaky. He overall is like a – like a, he's a slightly above average hitter, right? He's, a, a, he's a very solid yeah, player. He, he, if he's your second 
if he's your third outfielder, you're probably in great shape. Your third best outfielder. If he's your second outfielder, as long as that first outfielder is really good, you're in fine shape. Problem with the Indians is like he'd be your first, your best outfielder by far. It, yeah. But you're probably having to pay him like he's he's that. that. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the yeah. Point. Like I mean, he's not clearly gonna get a two year, eighteen million dollar deal. I don't even know if the Indians would do that. I mean, it, it's. I don't want to start talking about payroll, but I, I also think we just assume, oh, well, Kipnis is coming off the books and Bauer was gone, so they'll have $30 million to spend. And it's like, it never works like that in Cleveland. No, I mean... And we don't we even could, know what, we could spend... what John Sherman's departure means. Sure. And we can spend a whole new podcast, and we'll probably do it at some point this winter, talking about the reasons why it should, it should not be as as difficult as it has been for them to thread the needle, they shouldn't necessarily have to thread the needle as much as they, as they should. You can look at the sale of the Royals and say, that's a good indicator of how a team might lose money in a, on a year to year basis on, on in some particular seasons, but overall it is gaining, gaining in the overall asset that they control because at some point you are going to sell and you probably have made tons of money on that sale. Now, you could come back at me and say, if you never sell the team, then you never reap the rewards of that, and you are concerned about the year-to-year bottom line. Uh, and we have no indication that uh, the Dolans will be selling anytime soon. But it does; it is just a, a a nice reminder in the back of your head that there is a way for an owner to make his his money back in a very large way. Teams are still very much in high demand, and I would imagine if the Indians were for sale, that the Dolans would come away with a, a nice chunk of money compared to what they, they paid to get it. It's almost like owning a sports team is a lucrative endeavor. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you hear all of these teams are losing money and like ownership. Like for, it's so funny to me when ownership says anything of a complaining nature to a fan base. And it's like, huh, that's weird because, you know, you never – you still see owner like new owners paying ridiculous sums to acquire them. It's like yeah. that's weird. And like John Sherman worked in Cleveland, he was Paul Dolan's partner, and yet he wasn't scared away by paying a billion dollars for another franchise that is in even a smaller market and has less revenue than the Indians do. Huh? That kind of makes you think, right? But again, if if the <laughs> asset is never sold, or in this t- case, the team is never sold, you never get that in return on your investment in, in the same way that I think we're talking about. But sure. I, I but really again, don't. you know you will. And if you are losing money every year, why do you keep owning the team? But this is all, let's, let's save this for the offseason when we're bored and there's nothing else to talk about. You, you hold on to the team because it's a treasure. It's a national treasure. And you just love owning, saying you own a baseball team. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't want to spend any more time talking financials about the game. How do we get to talking team. about this? Because you talk, Look what Puig has made us do. This is why they should not re-sign him. <laughs> you if they are paying a huge chunk of money for Puig and they didn't find a way to keep Michael Brantley, I think that's... A year later, it's a bad luck because you're getting the worst player and you probably have to pay him more money than 
would would God, I have no idea what the market would be for him because he's such a conundrum of a player. Yasiel Puig. I, I, I've tried to handicap this like a hundred times and I can't I can't get a number in my head or a year in my head that makes sense that I could see a, a team I, I could see some crazy team giving him some mega deal, but I could also in the same on the on the other hand look at at the type of player he's been seeing for an office the way they operate now. And I could see him being one of those guys that has to wait on the free agent market forever because he's thinking he's going to get some sort of crazy deal. And it just never comes. I, I have really no idea. I keep getting asked and I don't, I don't have any way of knowing. I think Oakland gives him like three for 45. And I, th- three for 45, I think is a, f- fair deal for him right i, I, I don't think and doesn't oakland seem like crazy. one of those weird teams that would do something like that yeah you know how they're always just so willing to spend money over and over they are sometimes though in like odd <laughs> yeah yeah circumstances can when we set one other s- thing straight when, when they see something that nobody else does okay what uh related to the puig versus kluber thing danny salazar and michael brantley had nothing to do with each other Danny Salazar earned $4.5 million this year, and the Indians paid him that because the tiny percent chance that he was going to be able to help them and play a pivotal role for them, they did not want to take the risk of him doing that for another team. Mm. Now, obviously, that's $4.5 million that went down the tubes. Danny Salazar is back home at Tampa. Lord knows why. He's never going to pitch for the Indians again. It's a moot point. He'll probably sign a minor league deal with someone else next spring. And if he pitches in the majors again, like, good for him. But he was throwing, like, 84 miles an hour for Akron. And apparently the groin didn't hurt anymore and nothing made sense. He asked for the Indians. He asked the Indians if he could go home, take some time himself. They said, absolutely, that's that. But, But I had so many people reach out and say, oh, Glad they paid Salazar instead of when they could have just paid Brantley instead. That's not how that worked at all. I mean, Brantley made $16 million, so there's your first huge difference. But secondly, look, the Indians could have offered Brantley a qualifying offer. The the ownership put the kibosh on that, not directly saying you can't sign Michael Brantley, but by saying here's what you're going to have to do this offseason. You're going to have to consider trading Kluber or Bauer because we need to clear salary. Um, Obviously, they ended up dumping Yonder Alonso and making the Encarnacion Santana trade and, and cutting money other ways. So they had enough where they could take the $4.5 million risk. But if you notice, that's the only risk they took all off season. Like that's it. They didn't <laughs> sign Adam Jones who ended up not being very good anyway. They didn't sign other guys for depth. They started the freaking season with Eric Stamets and Max Moroff. How many consecutive podcasts have we mentioned those two names, but, but always mentioned it, by it, you. But they, they It's the new they, Alexi Agando. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Gonna have nightmares tonight. Agando in Yankee Stadium. Uh, I can't wait for your book about that. But they they could not commit to like eighteen million on the payroll, or they were gonna be absolutely forced to trade maybe Kluber and Bauer or do something drastic like that to clear salary. Um, and there was no guarantee they could do that stuff. So those are decisions they had to make at the very beginning of the offseason. One did not prohibit the team from doing another. Um, but this just goes back to, like, I mean, this is everything we've been talking about for months. And even today, like, 
you know, maybe if you had Brantley from the beginning, you never would have fallen back 11 and a half games and you would have been able to stomach some of these injuries and your lineup would still look okay right now without Jose Ramirez and the rest would have been history. I still don't know if you would have caught the Twins, but at least it would have been interesting down the stretch. Well, I don't think the lead gets to 11 and a half for Minnesota. So maybe you're sitting here to, I mean, I know I've seen every time travel movie ever. You go back in time and change one thing. It changes the whole butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah, I know. Ashton Kutcher can tell you all about it. So if Michael Brantley is in the outfield, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it impacts the rest of the year. And who knows if they trade for Fran Mil Reyes and Yasiel Puig and, Maybe by some grace of God, them not signing Michael Brantley actually leads to them winning four titles in a row three years from now. I don't know. Um, Isn't multiple realities fun? I know you want to sit down with Clevenger and talk about it at some point. Quiet. Don't don't share my secrets. (laughs) Um, And since, I mean, you did just write about him. And we talked about how it kind of, Forget, I mean, for Tribe fans, yes. For baseball fans, yes, too, because that's the kind of the, the bucket that we fall into. It is really unfortunate that we just didn't get to see Mike Clevenger go out and shove the entire season. Because uh, I, at the beginning of the year, I had him as a, an, I had him making the all-star team, and I thought he was a dark horse Cy Young candidate. Um, even just talking to him a little bit I, that I did this spring and seeing how the velocity continued to tick up and, he was building on some of the things that I wrote about last September. And I, I, I thought he was destined for a tremendous season. I didn't even see this coming and it would have been a lot of fun to just kind of see over a, the course of a full season. If he didn't get injured after what in his second start, if he could have just progressed this whole season, what could have been for him? And I mean, what could have been for the team too, but I think just from a watching good pitching is fun department it would have been great to see what sort of season Clevenger could have put together this year. Yeah, we, he's, he's always been so hungry. I mean, he, we feed him. Yeah, remember when he wanted to throw 200 innings and he did exactly that last year. And um, He's always wanted more and more and, and he wanted to throw harder and now he throws 98. And It, it makes me really wonder what he's going to look like when he gets to spring training next year because – I have a feeling he's just going to spend his off season. I don't know what he does in his spare time, but he's going to spend a lot of time lifting weights and getting stronger. And st- I mean, he's he was a guy a few years ago who didn't know what pitching mechanics were, didn't care, just reared back and fired, and didn't even throw that hard. He threw low nineties. Um, now he understands the science behind it. Trevor Bauer is partially responsible. The Indians player development staff is partially responsible. External resources have been partially responsible, but he has grown to appreciate what sort of levers and mechanisms help him get the most out of his throwing motion. And so it's going to be fun to watch him progress. And, you know, if he can stay healthy for a full season, this new version of him, what can he accomplish? Because if you, if you look at pitchers who have, he's at 93 innings this season. And he's at, I think, 132 strikeouts, which is crazy. Um, if he, like, like it's, you think he'll get, what, five more starts? Four or five? And, like, might end up with 100 and, 
75 strikeouts? That's nuts. Yeah. He missed- does he does he deserve a I mean, obviously not getting a top Cy Young vote, but should he be on a ballot? No, because he's gonna wind up with like 120 uh, innings. So what? It's the, That's I, not enough. If if the innings that a person gives you are that much more dominant than everybody else, and this is what I mean, you look at certain statistics, take that into account, like war, for example. War is based on the time that you're actually putting in on the field. So if he's close enough to the top of the leaderboard with just a hundred and let's just say 120 innings, don't you think that? I mean, I I I thought the year that Kershaw had like 100, 140, 150 innings, but he was just clearly so much better than everybody else in the innings that he pitched. I thought that he was at least worthy of a top three vote. I don't, yeah, but I he's don't care not. as much. Like Garrett but Cole, Justin Verlander. But I'm not saying he has to be... I don't know. I mean, it, it is interesting. So, so Cole, Verlander, they're one and two in some order. Uh, after that, it, it opens up a little bit. I mean, Giolito's had a really good season. Yes. Shane Bieber's in the conversation. Charlie Morton's in the conversation. And then, yeah, you're not how many, crazy. How many votes do you get for Cy? Because I've never five. voted for Cy. Top five. Yeah, that's what I thought. So if I, I could see him being worthy of a fifth-place vote. Like your, Lance Lynn is probably going to be on some ballots, but like Clevenger's numbers blow his out of the water. Uh, I'm, no, I'm not saying he should be in a, a finalist in top three. I'm not saying anybody should give him maybe even a top four vote. But I'm saying, does anybody give him a bone as a fifth place? And now some of this depends on how he finishes. But let's say he finishes just as dominant as he's been. I actually don't think it's as crazy as I first thought it was when you mentioned it. Just looking at the names, there just aren't that many rock-solid candidates. I think your five I think the five who will get the most will be Cole, Morton, Verlander, Bieber, and Giolito. But like some people won't even think of Giolito because he's on a terrible team. Probably can say the same about Mike Miner. And like like Clevenger's numbers, Clevenger ranks third in baseball among starting pitchers in strikeout rate. And his ERA is 271. His FIP is 239. His yeah. FIP's got to be like number one. So his FIP is number one by a lot. I know. Right, you made a convincing case. I know. Uh, I think it was Mike Petriello of MLB.com tweeted it out that it's going to be tough for Cy Young voters this year in the American League because I'm pretty sure there's a different leader in almost every category that matters. So I'm not trying to put down any of the, the guys that because I think there are a number of worthy candidates here. I, my question was not, should Clevenger win the Cy? It was more about just fun. Is he worthy of a fifth place vote from anybody? And does he get one from anybody if he continues on this path? Yeah, I, I think I mean, Verlander and Cole are going to wind up like splitting it. And then I think after that, I think like Morton, Bieber, probably three and four, I would guess. Which is crazy in itself. Shane Bieber or Cy Young? Chialito has been so good. I, I think he is. Yeah. I think he warrants the, the notoriety too. I, 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 I don't envy anyone, but at the same time, I do envy people because I think that would be a fun vote to cast. 
So I've got an MVP vote, and it's become – it used to be so challenging because, I mean, you have to rank 10 players, and what criteria do you use? What do you – what stats do you put more value in? Do you include pitchers? And now it's just like Trout goes one and fill in the blanks. doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's become easy. Cy Young can be tricky. Cy Young can be tricky, yes. And I think MVP gets fun once you – Pass probably. Well, I mean, it should be fun every year. It's it's the annual who gets close to Mike Trout award. Um, in some years, hey, a guy like Mookie Betts can find a year to challenge him and, and take him down. Realistically, it should be probably Trout every single year. But it gets fun once you get past the top five because then you can get creative and you can look at. Obviously, you're factoring in WAR, but you can look at some other stats. I mean, you're looking at win probability added or. Um, you know, what they do in certain situations. Um, you can look at a guy's clutch rate. I mean, you can look at all these different numbers to maybe try to give a guy a vote that no one really ultimately cares about because all people remember is who got the MVP that year. But I also find it fun to go back in previous years and see who are the random guys near the bottom of the ballot that received like a vote or two. <laughs> and, and where do those votes come from? Why do they get cast in a certain way? And when you, when you hold that power for MVP, then you can create one of those cool situations where somebody gets a 10th place vote that no one ever would have thought of. And, and you held the power to be able to, be, to do it. I love that. And I, I wish I could remember. I, I stumbled upon someone who had like a one 10th place vote in the MVP race in like 1995. And it was, it was like an infielder who had no pop hit like 260 and i was so confused <laughs> and they weren't even known as a great defender um but i can't remember leadership yeah, you got a 10th sure. place vote for leadership but. it's fun i don't think you can get subjective and i know i everyone wants it to be I, i've heard this this conversation where major league baseball needs to more clearly define what mvp is is it just most valuable is it best season is it best season on a good team they want Major League Baseball to define it, and I disagree. I think the fact that you have to kind of define it for yourself and, and see if year to year you kind of stick to your whatever your moral compass is for casting your, your ballot to see if you kind of stick to your guns and, and hold true to that every single year or, or if you adjust and your mind changes year to year. I mean, even thinking back to the initial Miguel Cabrera-Mike Trout debate, that kind of started the, the Mike Trout should be MVP every single year campaign. I was once on the side that the Triple Crown should mean something for, for Miguel Cabrera. And I thought the fact that he was playing on a good team should give him a little bit of a leg up because he is playing on games that matter on a nightly basis where Mike Trout isn't necessarily doing that. And over the years, I've become more analytical and think about things a little bit more numbers-based than I probably cross the the threshold into being in a different category so i think it's fun to kind of go back and see how you how you evaluated these things year to year and how you've grown as uh as an evaluator one of my favorite stories i've ever written was about guys who receive exactly one hall of fame vote i think pat hankton was one of them terry steinbach the catcher and talking to them about and usually it's like a courtesy from a reporter who had a good rapport with that player and you know but it's it's just a fun list because 
You have to do something to get one. Tons of people get zero. Tons of people get multiple or tons of votes. But it's a very <laughs> unique group of people who only get one. So, like, like I would want to know people who get one tenth place MVP vote. Yeah. Like, that would be a pretty exclusive I, list. I find that fascinating. Maybe something to dig into in the future. Uh, you know, when we have you so much talk time about in the offseason. Yeah. You want to talk about someone who, yeah. <laughs> about someone so who never got... Oh, yes. I would MVP love to talk vote. about somebody who never got an MVP vote. But I do realize that we're going to have plenty of time to discuss this when the Indians don't make the playoffs. Hey. All right. No, let's do this for real. Let's do a random Indian of the day. All right. Well, we're going to go more recent. I feel like we've spent a lot of time in the 90s. So let's go to 2014. This player's only year with the Indians. Um. Chris Dickerson. No, but I'll never forget. Should we tell a little Chris Dickerson story? You know, people have been supporting the podcast. Um, we're very appreciative of that. How can people do that, Zach? They can go to our Anchor page, assuming Anchor still exists. Where the hell you been, Anchor? Um, and they can support the podcast there. Uh, if you want to reach out, if you have questions, if you... Want to know anything else you can do to support the podcast? You can reach out to TJ or myself. You can also leave us a five-star review on our podcast. We are greatly appreciative of those and will exchange a cold, frosty beverage for one of those anytime. Uh, But because people have been supporting the podcast and helping us keep this thing going, uh, I feel like we should give them a little behind the scenes, no? Um, Chris Dickerson, if he's listening to this, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, if not, the only memory I have of that guy, I think it was 2014 or 2015. He was with the Indians for a few weeks. I just remember leaving the clubhouse in Kansas city and sharing an elevator ride with him. And he had two women with him who had to be porn stars. (laughs) And I just remember looking at Jordan Bastion and thinking, Chris Dickerson, who's like a fringy major leaguer, uh, ends up, that's how he goes home, back to his hotel room or wherever he went on a road trip. Uh, I can only imagine what it's... Fringe. Uh, I can only imagine what what life on the road is like for a major league superstar. Um, So there's your little behind the scenes. Thanks for supporting the podcast moment. Uh, But this player, I never saw with a porn star. Um, he was born in 1986, so in 2014 with the Indians, he was 28 years old. He was a sixth-round pick by Oakland originally in 2005, a native of Huntington Beach, California. Went to Cal State Fullerton. Position player. Okay. Uh... Um, I hope Chris Dickerson wasn't married in 2014. Well, I mean, it could have just been. Uh, it could have been doing like a, a you know good Samaritan thing where a couple of nice young ladies were lost and he was helping them out of the ballpark. That's true. Didn't have to be bad actions taking place. I have no idea so far on the random Indian. Okay, this player was an infielder. 
with the Indians, he played a little shortstop, a little second base, a little third base. Oh, God, this we've said it before, but the newer ones I blank on. There are so many guys that I go through the list that on teams that we've covered and I forget that they play for the Indians. Um, infielder drafted by Oakland. How many teams did he play for in the majors? Two. God, makes it even more difficult. The Indians claimed him in spring training that year. He spent the year in the organization, and then the Pirates grabbed him the falling off season. Um, I don't know. No guess yet. There's nothing on the internet about Chris Dickerson having a wife. So that's a little bit of a relief. Um, (laughs) uh, The Indians got him from the Dodgers, where he played parts of three major league seasons. With the Dodgers, he batted 199 with three home runs in 82 games. Um... No, I'm still blanking. Oh, boy. With the Indians, 17 games, 16 at-bats, three hits. That's a 188 average, no extra base hits. Uh, Guy's career OPS was 574. His body was covered in tattoos. Oh, um... Justin Sellers? Got it. Cell block. Justin Sellers was uh, up and down a little bit as a utility infielder that year. Never hit much. Um, and I that I think we've shared basically everything there is to share. <laughs> yeah, I think. 2015 uh, was his last year in baseball with the Pirates. Um, I, remember, I remember I think having two conversations with him ever and my only takeaway was he seemed like a nice enough guy so yeah good for justin sellers you are the random mini that's of the it day. that's your random mini of the day sponsored by nobody uh well it could be sponsored by you the fans if you find us over at anchor be sure to follow the podcast at selby's godcast at tj zuppi at zach meisel on twitter on facebook and if you want to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find us. And we do appreciate anybody that just listens. That's the number one way to support the podcast is to listen and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best way to spread all sorts of things, I've been told. Uh, any parting words? Chris Dickerson, if, if you're listening to this, I, I didn't mean anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm really sorry, and again, like, yeah, you might not have even, maybe they just happened to get on the elevator at the same time and lock arms um, with you. Yeah, it, you know, who knows? Game on me for making assumptions from something that happened five years ago. Uh, you seemed like a nice dude, and uh, best wishes.
Yeah, that should cover it. <laughs> Good job. And I think now we know what Nick Swisher meant when he said that Chris Dickerson has light tower power. Until next week, we're out of here. See ya.